ahead this morning, and um, last week we were looking in, uh, in 1 John, First John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Um, how many of you have ever been reading the Bible and you've read something, you stopped, went back, read it again, you stopped, went back and read it again, and you almost thought this is, this is a little confusing. Have you ever thought that when you're reading? Okay, good, right? Is... Is the word of God confusing? Now, that's a trick question. I will warn you, that is a trick question. Okay. Is the word of God confusing? Yes? Is God's word confusing? God's word, yes. There we go. The word of God is not confusing. What is why we have the confusion is not on the word of God's part, it's on our part, right? Uh, and again, like I said, that, that can kind of be a trick question, right? We read it and we could say it's confusing, but the word of God is not confusing. It's our understanding of it that causes it to be confusing, right? Uh, again, God's word, God, God is never going to try to confuse us and to, to make us wonder uh, what he's wanting, you know? Um, God, God tells us specifically what he wants, but many times when we read it, because of the way we're reading it or because of our understanding, we are confused, right? We are confused through it, okay? Um, but the one thing that we have to remember is God's word, God does not want us to be confused, right? He doesn't want us to be confused. He's not trying to confuse us in his, in his word, Right? The confusion comes when we try to understand it in the way we want to or through tradition or through a religion or through parents or through grandparents or through society or whatever. That's where the confusion begins to come, okay? Um, and that's why when we're reading and there's something that may seem like it's causing confusion, we have to step back and say, well, wait a minute, God's word is not going to cause confusion. If I'm confused about it, then there's something that I must not be understanding about it right. Okay? And that's why it's so important. In fact, even Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that we are to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Right? The reason why so many times confusion comes is we're comparing spiritual things with fleshly things. We compare spiritual things with worldly things. We compare spiritual things with all these other things instead of comparing it with spiritual things, right? And that's why whenever, if there's ever something in the Word of God that w might seem to con cause confusion, the, the best thing that we can do, right, um, whenever there's ever something that we're reading that we think, well, this, might, this is a little confusing, the first thing that we need to remember is, Number word, number one, God's word isn't confusing, it's me that's confused. And number two, is there, is there other places in scripture that 
I can go to to help me understand what this is talking about, right? What, what do many times when we're reading something and we find it a little bit confusing, what is the first thing that many times that we want to do? What's that? Okay, go to a dictionary, right? Go to a dictionary or what else? Obviously, if there's words that we don't understand, that's a, that's a good thing to do to go to a dictionary. But when we're reading a passage and we're really kind of not understanding what the passage is talking about or how it's being explained or whatever, what is one of the first things that we, we want to do? What's that? Stop reading? Okay, we think, you know, the devil makes us think, well, hey, you can't understand it, so you might as well not even read it, right? What's something else that, that happens? Yes, Ms. Naomi? Skip over it, right? You're never going to understand it. Just don't even read it. Just skip over it, right? Yes, Ms. Emily? What does somebody else say about it? Whether that's through commentaries, right? What is, what is somebody else who has really studied the Bible? And, and here's, here's the problem. We think because someone has written a commentary, that they've written a book, that, that means they know it all. Friend, they are just like you and me. That's all. They're, they're just like you and me, right? But what happens is when we can't understand something, the first thing that we want to do is find out, well, what does somebody else say about it, right? What does this commentary say? Or, and, and again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying commentaries are bad. Or sometimes you say, well, I'll just, I'll just let pastor explain it. Yeah, I know some of you, right? Yeah. And again, that's not bad. God has given us pastors to help us understand the word of God. But what really ought to be the first thing that we do when we come to a passage that we don't understand or that may cause a little confusion, instead of going to commentaries, instead of skipping over it, or instead of just saying, I'm not going to read it anymore, or instead of going to other people that we might say, well, let me find out what they say about it. What really is the first thing we ought to do? Brother Nolan? We ought to ask the Lord to help reveal it to us, right? Ask the Lord to help us to understand it, right? And then what's something else we can do? Compare Scripture with Scripture, right? As we ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand. Now, please, please understand. Again, I'm not saying that commentaries are wrong. I, I, I use commentaries as well, okay? But we get so lazy, we don't want to take the time to really study it ourselves. What do we want to do? We just want somebody to tell us what it says, right? And here's the problem with that. We let them tell us what it says, and then we don't even check to make sure that what they tell us is right. Well, so-and-so in his commentary said this, and he wrote this book, and people buy it, so he must be right. Uh, well, there's a lot of wrong books that are out there, too. Does that mean they're right? So just because somebody has written a book, right, or written a commentary on it, doesn't mean that that just automatically makes them right, right? What is, what is the difference between that person who has written a commentary and you? Maybe, okay, so maybe they, maybe they went to college, maybe they studied a little bit of Hebrew and Greek or something like that, but I'm being serious. What is the difference between that person and you and, and me in understanding the Word of God? None. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? That's good. We get the good, the bad, and the ugly in all of it, right? Right here in this book. We get the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's true, right? There's no doubt about that, right? Um, Clint Eastwood is not in the book, but, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly is, okay? Um, but no, we, we do. And, and that's why it's so important as a Christian, right, to, to go to the Word of God, right? We, we ask the Holy Spirit, again, who is the author? The Holy Spirit, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration, right? We know that the Holy Spirit inspired these men. First Peter, right, tells us, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, right? So we know that the same Holy Spirit that told these men what to write is the same Holy Spirit that we have living in us. And yet, instead of going to the Holy Spirit, what do we do? We go to some man that didn't write it, that is just giving his opinions on it instead of going to the Holy Spirit, right? And then we don't even really study it, the Bible to find out what does the Bible say about it, right? And that's why it's so important whenever, again, I'm not saying don't ever use a commentary. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying don't ever get counsel and get advice and say, hey, I'm just really struggling with this, right? But don't let somebody else be the first option, right? Let the Holy Spirit be the first option, let the Word of God be the first option. Let commentaries in what somebody else says be the second or third or fourth or fifth option down the road, right? That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, right? Study, and that's what we don't want to do. We want to just let somebody else tell us what the answer is without studying it, right? Right. And they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's it's funny. People have asked me because as as an independent Baptist church, we're we're a little bit different than other churches. Right. We don't have a, a headquarters. There's no other church that is over our church. There, there's no, we don't have a board that is, you know, that, that I have to report to or whatever. And so people have asked me, well, who are you accountable to? If, if there's no headquarters that you're, uh, you know, that your church is accountable to and, and, and there's, no, there's no board in the church that you have to go before and things, who are you accountable to? I'm like, brother, you think that's hard. You think going before a board is hard. I've got 250 people that I've got to go before. I got 250 people that I'm accountable to, right? And that's what the church is supposed to be. The church, and again, a lot of times we can just think, well, the pastor's up there just to teach us, and that's true. But it's also important for the, those who are being taught to check and make sure that what is being taught is true. You see, if a pastor can get up and teach false doctrine and just continue on, guess whose fault it is? It's the church's fault. Because that means the church is not checking to make sure that what he's teaching is right. That's what, exactly what Brother uh, Dennis was saying. The Bereans, Paul, Paul commends them, or Luke commends them. He says, these were no, more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they searched the scriptures whether these things were so. As Paul preached, they were looking, they were checking. Is what Paul's saying true, right? And that's why I tell you, look, you, you ought to have a Bible, 
You ought to have it open, right? Um, you know, you ought to check. Everything that I preach, you ought to go back and check. While I'm preaching it, you ought to be questioning. Is that, is that really what it says? You know, throughout the week, you ought to be going back. Is that really what it says? That's, by the way, that is your job. That's your responsibility, right? So, all of that to come back to 1 John chapter 3, right? Because, again, sometimes we can look at scriptures and we can think these are confusing. And we kind of talked a, bit about, a little bit about this last week, right? He says in verse number 4, Whosoever committeth sin and transgresseth also the law, um, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So we were talking a little bit about this last week. When it says here that whoever is of God sins not, right? In verse number 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, right? Back up in verse number 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil, so does this mean that a, when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, does this mean that once they are saved, they can never sin? Or if they do sin, then that means they have lost their salvation? Because if he says, if you commit sin, you're of the devil, and who is of God does not commit sin, right? Because again, there are some religions that teach that once you get saved, you can never sin, right? So therefore, if you sinned, either one, you were never saved, or two, you lost your salvation. And there are religions that teach you can lose your salvation, right? If, if you don't do what's right, if you don't follow all the commandments, if you don't do all these things, if you sin, then you lose your salvation, okay? Well, uh, I believe if we're going to let the Scripture speak for itself, right, the Bible very clearly tells us that you cannot lose your salvation, right? It is impossible for someone to lose their salvation, right? I mean, again, to me, the most simple verse in all of this is John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life, right? So if a person has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, now please, when I, understand, when I say this, I'm talking about a person who has truly accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They recognize they're a sinner. They know that their sin is going to send them to hell, and they need Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. They're willing to repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ. Okay? Then that, God says that person receives what? What did he say at the end? Receives what? Everlasting life. Okay? How long is Everlasting pretty simple, right? It's everlasting. So let me ask you this. If somebody can receive salvation, lose salvation, is it everlasting? 
So if someone can lose their salvation, God is a liar. Because God said, when you receive salvation, you have everlasting life. He gives you everlasting life. And if everlasting life is everlasting, but yet somehow I can lose it, then it's not everlasting, right? And this is why he tells us all throughout Scripture, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Over and over and over, God speaks about this gift of everlasting life, this gift of eternal life, right? If it is eternal, can it then be lost? Cannot. It cannot be lost, right? If it can be lost, then it is not eternal. If it can be lost, it is not everlasting. If it can be lost, then God has lied to us in his word, Right? Stay right here in the book of 1 John. Turn over one page, chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5. Look in verse number 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Right? And this is the record that God hath given to us. What are those next two words? Isn't it amazing how many times God uses that phrase, eternal life, everlasting life, eternal life, everlasting life, eternal life, everlasting life, eternal life. That God hath given to us eternal life. And notice, and this life is in his son. Right? So John is very clear. God says, John says that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Who is his Son? It's Jesus Christ, right? I think we're all in agreement with that, right? I don't think there'd be anybody that would doubt that, okay? Eternal life is in his Son, right? Now watch verse number 12. He that hath the Son hath, what's the next word? Life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So John says it's very simple, right? If you have Jesus Christ, you have what? Eternal life. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have what? Eternal life. Pretty simple, right? If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have eternal life. Simple as that. Well, but then, but you can lose Jesus. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. If you can lose eternal life, that means you lose Jesus. Right? Because eternal life is in his son. That's what John just said. Life is in his son. So if you lose eternal life, that means you lose Jesus. Well, that kind of seems impossible. Since Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So Jesus said, I'll never leave you. 
So the only way to lose eternal life because life is in Jesus is to lose Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you. Right. This is why he continues in verse number 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So he says, I'm writing this to those who have believed on Jesus Christ. I want you to know, right? This is what he says, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He says, I want you to know. God says, I want you to know whether you have it or whether you don't. You know what's sad is there are religions that tell people you can't know whether you're saved or not. You can't know. You can hope maybe one day when you get to heaven, you find out whether you do it. Corinne, that's too late. That's too late to find out when you get to, when you stand before God, because when you stand before God, you can't do anything about it then. The only time that you can do something about it is here and now. Because once you die, it's too late. Your destiny is sealed. It's not like, oops, well, Lord, you know, I believe now. Sorry, too late. And this is why he says, and again, notice, right, in verse, and again, he he speaks about this. Verse number 10, he that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. That's present tense. You have it now, right? Verse number 11, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. That's present tense. means we have it now. Verse number 11, he that hath the Son hath life. That's present tense. That means you have it now. Verse number 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That's present tense. That means now. Nowhere does God ever say, well, maybe one day you'll figure out whether you do or not. No, God says you can know right now you do or you don't. You can know. You have it or you don't have it. How? In Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, you have it. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have it. Again, what are we doing? We're letting the word of God speak for itself. Now, again, we can allow religion we can allow society, we can allow tradition, we can allow all these other things to try to skew what God has said. We can let some other man tell us what God has said, or we can simply believe what God has said. Friend, I simply believe, to, I choose to believe what God has said. I'm just going to believe what God has said. I don't believe this because a religion teaches it. I don't believe this because I'm a Baptist, and that's why I believe it. No, no. I believe it because God said it. That's why I believe it. It doesn't matter what religion teaches it, what family teaches it, what society says. I believe it because that's what God says. God said it, right? So again, so think with me about this. When we come back to chapter 3, So then what does this mean? Because if John clearly says here in chapter 5, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. So what does he mean here in John chapter 3 when he says, those that are of God, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, and he that committeth sin is of the devil. What is he meaning by this? Because again, this can cause, this can sometimes cause confusion. Wait a minute. Well, if, if I'm born of God, then that means I can't sin 
And if I do sin, then that means I'm of the devil. So maybe did I lose my salvation or was I never saved or, or what begins to happen? And we begin to be confused. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. No need for confusion, right? We just read very clearly in, John, in 1 John chapter 5, you have the son, you have life. You have not the son, you have not life, right? That was pretty clear, right? So what is he saying here? And again, remember, we went back and we even looked at the previous verses here, right? John says, beloved, now are we the sons of God in verse number two of chapter three. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So John says, look, we know that one day we're going to be like Jesus, but that day's not here yet, right? We don't understand how it's all going to work out, but we know that one day we're going to be like Jesus, but that day's not here. But he says in verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So if I have that hope that one day Jesus is going to come back for me, and I'm going to be with Jesus, and I've put my faith and trust in him as my Savior, and I'm looking for Jesus to return, then he says in verse 3, He that hath this hope purifieth himself. Okay, now wait a minute. If once I get saved, I cannot sin. Right? So once I get saved, if, if I get saved and I cannot sin, then am I not pure? If I get saved and I cannot sin, am I not pure? Yes. Why would he say purify yourself? If I can do no wrong, if I cannot sin, then why does he say, if you have this hope, purify yourself? You know what that tells me? Same thing we've been looking. Just because somebody gets saved does not mean that they now become perfect. Just because someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ does not mean all of a sudden now they're just absolutely perfect. No, 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 not at all, right? A person can have Jesus Christ, and guess what? We still fall sometimes. We still sin. We still mess up. That does not mean we lose Jesus. No, we can't lose Jesus. He said, I won't leave you. Eternal life, everlasting life. Don't forget those things. I can still mess up, right? So what John is saying here is even though, yes, I have Jesus, God knows there are going to be times when I, I blow it. I mess up. By the way, you cannot show me anyone in Scripture that has believed in Jesus Christ who did not blow it sometime or another. Right? Moses, right? Moses believed Moses was perfect after that, wasn't he? Actually, I think Moses didn't enter the promised land because he messed up. God said, speak to the rock. Moses said, nah, I'm going to hit the rock. I think that's called disobedience. I think disobedience is a sin, right? Moses messed up. More than once, by the way. Didn't, wasn't there a guy named David? Didn't David mess up? Pretty bad, didn't he? Messed up pretty bad. Uh, you know, wasn't there a guy named Abraham? 
Abraham messed up. Wasn't there a guy by the name of Peter? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, Peter, yeah. Peter kind of messed up, didn't he? We'd say he messed up pretty big. Denying the Lord three times. Pretty big mess up. Paul? Paul messed up. Paul says, the things that I want to do, the things that I know I should do, I don't do. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, that's what I'm doing. I'd say he messed up. So why do we then think that somehow when we get saved, that somehow we're never going to mess up? Do you know why? Because we're allowing what other people say to tell us what we're supposed to believe instead of letting what God says tell us what we're supposed to believe. Nowhere does God say you're ever going to be perfect. Nowhere. So what is he saying here? As a Christian, right? Again, we're talking about someone who has truly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're not saying, you know, here over here is somebody who's living in sin, you know, they're, they're in a wicked lifestyle or they're just lost. And somebody says, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven. And that person says, oh, so if I believe in Jesus, then I can just go ahead and keep living this lifestyle that I'm living and I can just keep doing it and I get to go to heaven. Well, sure, I'll believe in Jesus. Friend, that's not salvation. That's not salvation, right? Remember what we find in the book of Acts? What, do they, what, did, what was the message? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be a repentant heart, right? There, we are turning from our sin to Christ, right? So as we turn from sin to Christ, we're following Christ. It doesn't mean we're never going to turn back to sin and, and fall. No, again, we've just read that happens, right? But someone who is truly putting their faith in Christ is not going to want to remain in this lifestyle. They're not going to want to just, okay, I got saved. Now I'm just going to keep on going in this wickedness. No, no, that's not salvation. Okay? It's not just a prayer you, you say, you know, so now I got, I got to get out of jail free card. I get to go to heaven, but I get to live however I want to. No, that's not it at all. By the way, when you read the book, of, the book of Hebrews, if you could lose your salvation, then why does God bring chastening? If I'm perfect and I'm pure and I can never sin, why does Hebrews chapter 12 talk about chastening? And by the way, he says he chastens every child who he receives. You know what that tells me? Every child falls. Every child sins after they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's no need for chastening, for discipline, if you're, if you're good, if you're perfect. There's no need for that. But yet he says in Hebrews, every child whom he receives, he disciplines. Why? Because our flesh is still here. And yes, we can repent of our sins and we can put our faith in Christ. But what happens? There are some days we're not walking in the spirit. And what do we do? We turn back to the flesh. We turn back to our sin. And then what happens? God convicts us. We recognize that we fell. And we're like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And what do we do? We turn back and we follow him again. Right? And so this is what 
when we read here in, in 1 John chapter 3, when he says, he that committeth sin is of the devil, he's talking of someone who is constantly, constantly there in sin. There is no desire to turn from sin to Christ. They are constantly in sin. They are committing sin. It is a habitual lifestyle. They are, this is just the constantly how they are. Right? By the way, let me just say this. We think of, of sin as like adultery and murder and all these everything. You don't have to do any of those and still be living a habitual sinful lifestyle. Again, remember what did he, remember what did he say? If you don't believe in God, you are of the devil. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, that is sin. You have rejected Christ that, and you continue to reject Christ. That is a habitual sinful life. You can be the most upright person. You can be the most moral person and still be living in a sinful lifestyle. Why? Because you have rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior. It doesn't just have to be adultery or murder or all of these other wicked things that we think of. No. It can just simply be the fact that, hey, I think I'm good enough. I don't need Jesus, and so I'm just going to turn from him, and I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. Friend, that's sin. And you can continue to live in that lifestyle, right? But whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So somebody who is born of God, they have repented of their sin. They're looking to Jesus Christ, and as they're following Jesus Christ, are temptations going to come? Yes. Temptations are going to come. Again, why would James talk about temptation if we're not ever going to be able to fall? What, what have I done? I've gone back to Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture to help us understand this passage. Of course a Christian is going to fall. We don't want to, but we know it's going to happen. Why? Because we still live in this flesh. That's why he says one day we will be like him. One day we will have a glorified body, and we won't have to worry about sin anymore. We won't have to worry about all those things. Right now, we still have this fleshly body. And every day, our flesh struggles. Every day, our flesh desires to be in control. And that's why every day we have to make a choice. Am I going to yield to the Spirit and follow Christ today? Or am I going to yield to the flesh and start turning back to my sin today? Which one am I going to do? Again, that's what Paul is talking about. The things that I want to do, I don't. And things that no, I shouldn't do, I do. Look, we have to realize that the people in the Bible, Paul and Peter and Moses and David, they're just like you and me. By the way, they were saved the same way you and I are, by faith. They were saved by faith. They weren't saved by their works. Nobody can be saved by their works. They're saved by faith. The gift of God is eternal life, not the reward of what you do. It's the gift of God. We receive it by faith, right? And so when, when John talks here, when he says this, right? And again, he says, in this, the children of God are manifest. As we are following Christ and as we are walking with Jesus Christ, obviously, and I, I think I said this last week, if the closer that I get to Jesus Christ, guess what I'm going to find? The less I sin. 
The closer that I get to Jesus, the more I follow him and obey him, the less I'm going to sin. The farther I get away from Jesus, guess what happens? The more I find myself sinning. That's why it's so important as a Christian that we walk in the Spirit, right? And this is what he says in verse number 10. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Who is following Jesus? Who's following the devil? A person who's following Jesus, you're going to see their, you're going to see their life. Again, we're not expecting perfection. We're not ever saying that person can't fall. But we're going to see there is a lifestyle of wanting to follow Jesus Christ. A person who is of the devil, there is a lifestyle of following the world and the flesh. It is continual, right? Look, we find over and over throughout Scripture many that fell. You think about Demas. The one thing that most people think about Demas. Demas, as Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me, right? How can we never talk about the verses that Paul talks the good things about Demas? How Demas went on many missionary journeys with Paul. Demas helped in the ministry, and Demas was doing many different things. The only thing we ever remember about Demas is that he forsook Paul. Did Demas lose his salvation? Of course not. Didn't lose his salvation. What happened? He made a choice. Instead of choosing to follow Jesus Christ, he made a choice for whatever reason. We don't know. Just said he, he went back to the world. Did he lose his salvation? No. Did David lose his salvation when he went back to the world and committed adultery? No. Did David lose his salvation when he went back to the world and committed murder? No, of course not. Did Moses lose his salvation when he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock like God said? No, he didn't lose it. Didn't lose his salvation at all. Did Peter lose his salvation when he denied Jesus three times? No. Can you lose your salvation when you fall away from Jesus Christ and fall into sin? No, you cannot. If you're truly saved, you cannot. And guess what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to convict you Say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to get it right. That's what that Hebrews chapter 12 is all about, the chastening of the Lord Jesus Christ. He chastens his children because he sees us doing something wrong, and he chastens us. Why? Because he's trying to get us to turn from it and do what is right. Right? Um, so again, it's so important when we come to a passage that we might think, well, this is, this is confusing. No, no, no. Don't, don't just automatically go to what somebody else says. Look at Scripture. Is there places in Scripture where the Bible says that I can lose my salvation? Nope. Are there places in Scripture where the Bible says that I have eternal life and I have everlasting life and I have the Son and He'll never leave me? Yeah, all over. All over. Then obviously this cannot be saying that if I'm a Christian and I sin, then obviously I lose my salvation. Now I'm of the devil. No, no, it's not meaning that. Right? And that's why it's important that we go back to the Word of God. We find out what God says. We get our answers from God's Word, not just a religion or not just from man's ideas or from grandma and grandpa or from whatever. No, we've got to go back to the Word of God. All right? I've, I've gone over a couple minutes. I apologize. If you have a question or something about it, you can email me or shoot me a text or something. Um, but let's go ahead and be dismissed, and we'll have our, get ready for our second our morning service. All right? God bless you.